Welcome to Clearly KC, a podcast produced by the National Keratoconus Foundation, featuring information about life with keratoconus. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Barnett. I am so excited to introduce you to my special guest today, Rachel Dungan. Rachel is the Director of Academy Health and oversees a work portfolio focused on studying the effective and ethical engagement of diverse stakeholders in health research activities. She works at the intersection of sectors and stakeholder groups supporting the advancement of health policy and systems research and the enhancement of its impact. Today we're going to chat about Rachel's personal experience with keratoconus. Welcome, Rachel. Great, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So you produced this incredible video called How Do I Look with the National Keratoconus Foundation. And I was incredibly blown away and impressed by the authenticity, creativity, clarity, and also positivity Mm -hmm. that you shared in the video. And I wish I knew about the video sooner, um, but it's something that I would like all of my patients to see because Mm -hmm. it was so impactful for me. In that video, you mentioned that your life was on pause and that your dreams were disrupted and you're depressed and angry. What would you say now to your college aged self? Hmm. I think my experience with this may have felt a bit more dramatic than others because I went undiagnosed for such a long period of time. And this whole process of starting to develop and then notice symptoms and then pursue a diagnosis was happening at this crucial pivot point in my life when I was moving from undergrad into grad school. I was making major life decisions and changes. That's a time when you have to be really brave. And a lot of things already feel a little bit destabilized or uncertain. And I think anytime you're going into something that feels risky or new or scary, you want to be able to rely on your body, your brain, your senses. You want to be able to feel confident and act from a position of strength. And I felt like the rug was being pulled out from under me and I couldn't count on myself to think or operate the ways that I'm used to. So I think the first thing I would tell my college self is go get your eyes checked. (laughs) Um, Great advice for people (laughs) of all ages. If there's anything you take away from this discussion today, please get an eye exam for babies too. Seriously. Six months old. Yeah, yeah, I had great vision growing up. And so when I started to experience complications, I just assumed, oh, I'm tired, I'm overworked, I'm taking too many credits, I'm stressed about graduating, I'm not taking good care of myself, I'm not focused. You do the thing that a lot of people do where you turn that on yourself and say, oh, I must be doing something wrong or there must be something wrong with me. Um, And it didn't occur to me to get my eyes checked, actually, in fact, until after grad school. So I went all the way through a master's program like that. And then paused and said, wait, something really is not right here. So I think that's the first thing I would tell myself um, because I don't think I understood the significance of vision and I certainly didn't understand what an impact it can have on other aspects of your physical, mental, emotional, social, behavioral health. That, that's just not something I had any frame of reference for um, before experiencing this. And then I think I would also tell myself on a separate note to be a little bit gentler with myself and to understand that life isn't necessarily linear and there are different ways 
to get from point A to point B. And I think in some ways having the experience of being diagnosed with keratoconus and then also figuring out how to manage it helped me to understand that although I had a very linear vision for what success was going to look like for me, I had to adapt along the way. And in some ways, I think it's made me much more resilient and much more intentional about some of the things that I do. So I wish I had known at that point in time that this diagnosis would not be the end of my life. But I think a lot of the rhetoric around this focuses on people thinking that they're doomed or they're destined for failure or they're going to go blind or this is not manageable. And for some people, it it has a much more significant kind of consequence given the cost implications and things like that. But for many, there are different ways of managing this and still maintaining your life and the things that you love about it. I think you're bringing up so many important points and especially the diagnosis and life. These are great life points, right? For keratoconus or not, mm-hmm. great uh, points that you're bringing up. But many people think that, yes, it's this linear path. Like you're diagnosed, you get maybe cross-linking, then you get specialty lenses, and then it's quick and done. But what I've learned um, to discuss with my patients over time, especially, is that this is a process. Mm-hmm. It's actually a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, say, the specialty lens fitting is a process. And I learned this because years ago, when I first started fitting scleral lenses, my patients were so happy. Mm-hmm. Put a lens on, they go and disappear for like two years. Mm-hmm. But I was never done. And so that's something that I learned and I educate other doctors that we have to educate that this is a process. It takes multiple visits. And that's why the National Keratoconus is also so helpful mm-hmm. uh, to provide resources as well, because I have many patients that they don't know anyone with keratoconus. They have keratoconus and they don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And I always joke, well, why don't you just sit out here for an hour or two? <laughs> you know, lots of people. <laughs> You can have a party, you can have some coffee. But the National Keratoconus Foundation is such a great resource. And another thing I love that you said is just to be gentler on yourself. Mm -hmm. So I just came from yoga this morning and Mm -hmm. my yoga teacher said the same thing. (laughs) Just to maybe step back. And I love how you said also just to really prioritize um, and be intentional. Again, great, great life advice whether we're talking about keratoconus or not. Just something to pick up on there. You mentioned that um, you have a lot of patients who have never met someone with keratoconus before. I think something that's been beneficial to me in terms of my interaction with the National Keratoconus Foundation um, is that it's given me the language and understanding to be able to interact with people in new and different ways and to kind of put a name to what I'm experiencing such that when I meet someone who does have it, we're able to have a a different kind of a connection. Uh, Since I have been diagnosed, I've bumped into all kinds of people from different walks of life, people in professional settings. You know, I'll say something offhand about the fact that I have to wear these custom contacts and they'll say, hey, wait a second, that sounds really familiar. I actually met someone in a social setting at one point. He was telling me about his job and he said, oh, I've always wanted to be a pilot, but I couldn't pursue being a pilot because I have this vision condition. And 
And we started talking and I was like, wait a second, you have exactly the same thing that I have. This has come up over and over again. And in one case, it was someone that I took a yoga class with and he and I were chatting afterward. I said, sometimes I'm a little foggy after class because I don't have my contacts in. When my contacts aren't in, I can't really see anything, I can't function. Prompted a conversation about keratoconus. Turns out he's had it for years. And in fact, didn't know that he would be able to afford or access contact lenses. And I put him in touch with my provider and said, this will change your life. He had been working with one eye closed for 10 years at a very high level, you know, impressive job in DC. I was like, how do you function like that? Since then, he's gone to see a provider. He's gotten fitted with contacts, has changed his life. So I think there's something really important about being educated to your point earlier and knowledgeable enough to be able to talk about what you're experiencing, but also to help um, others have the vernacular and also just awareness. It's like a level of health literacy that I think is really important um, to nudge people in ways that can help them manage the condition. Exactly. And keratoconus is far more prevalent than mm-hmm. we ever thought before. Even the latest studies, it's really very prevalent. So getting the awareness out there and mm-hmm. back to your point of eye exams you know, that's where it all starts. We can have everyone have an eye exam, then we can diagnose keratoconus more often. In every single eye exam, I'm always ruling out keratoconus for Mm. every single patient. It's Mm. something I'm thinking about all the time, just like dry eye. Honestly, it's nice to hear that because I did actually go see an eye care provider as an undergrad when I started experiencing really severe dry eye symptoms to the point where it was affecting my coursework. I was running late to classes because I had to stop between things and put in drops or something like that. And it it took a very significant toll, actually, on my my own ability to feel comfortable and confident in an intense academic setting. Um, But I did go see a doctor. They said, oh, you just have dry eye. Here are some drops for you. Go on about your business. Then I went to another provider while I was in grad school. They never tested for it. It took four or five different visits for someone to finally pay attention to this. And that has since given me enough insight to get involved in some of the work that I do now, which is really exciting. One of the sort of tangential projects that I worked on, um, in addition to being a director at Academy Health, was through the National Health Council. I was on their advisory group um, for patient experience mapping. And we ended up helping to create this roadmap that helps patients work with their clinicians to think through how they got from the first moment of experiencing a symptom to getting to an eventual correct diagnosis. And what you'll see in the pathway is that there are all of these different loops that take you in different directions. And one route takes you toward an incorrect diagnosis and then sends the patient back to the beginning. One route uh, provides the example of a patient that doesn't realize they have some kind of a symptom, but maybe a provider or a family member or a friend points something out to them, and that's the first time they realize that, in fact, they're dealing with something that maybe requires some kind of a clinical response. But I think most people don't realize, going back to our point about linearity, that this is not a linear or easy process to navigate, um, so that, that you make a point to think about this and rule it out for me is very encouraging because that would have been hugely helpful. Wow. That's so fascinating. 
And when my patients come in and maybe they're already diagnosed with keratoconus, I always like to hear their history and mm-hmm. their path and what they've tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked, yeah. why hasn't it worked? Did they try scleral lenses and they didn't work? Why mm-hmm. and when? And, and these are just all the questions, but it is oftentimes a long history and maybe takes multiple doctors and so hopefully we can diagnose keratoconus earlier Mm -hmm. to intervene sooner to prevent progression and also improve the quality of life and Mm -hmm. many studies do support that Mm -hmm. but i think it's important for all of us doctors to really have a lot of empathy Mm -hmm. with our patients because it oftentimes it's very frustrating it's very emotional it's a lot of crying i'm crying too (laughs) we're all crying (laughs) But I love the crying with the happy tears, too. There's lots of of happy tears. Yeah. Because, like, scleral lenses are life-changing. They truly are. And Or other types of specialty lenses, too. Gas-permeable lenses, Mm -hmm. specialty lenses, especially soft lenses for keratoconus. They can be completely life-changing. So it's wonderful to share the happy tears as well. Yeah. I distinctly remember the first time I got fit for lenses... The doctor had given me a set, put them in, and handed me a book. And again, I had just come out of finishing a very intense master's program. I had just done a very intense internship, whole nine yards. And I looked down at the text and could properly read for the first time in years, maybe the better part of a decade. And I just started sobbing, in part because I was happy, in part because I realized, oh, something was really quite wrong and oh, this may have held me back or kept me from thinking on the level I'm used to or working on the level I'm used to. You know, your brain automatically goes to, what might my life have looked like if? It's like you had this point of comparison now and realized, oh, wait a second, this really was a challenge that I didn't realize I was navigating in real time. But then you step out of the office and you look up and you can see the minute details on leaves Yes. And I remember for weeks after that, I would go on a walk you know, with a family member and comment on being able to see blades of grass. I was so excited. It is. Yeah. It's completely exciting and life-changing. Yeah, I agree. I read that in 2021, you were the keynote for Arvo's Health Economics and Outcomes Research Conference, which is quite prestigious. <laughs> how, how was that experience? It was wonderful. It was really exciting for me. In fact... I had been contacted because one of my mentors, Dr. Kevin Frick, who I know from when I was an undergraduate, has been a friend of mine, and I hadn't realized that he was also doing some work in advocacy in the vision research community. So our lives have just kind of intertwined in these interesting ways. And he knew that I had had this experience, uh, but he also knows that a lot of the work that I do focuses, you mentioned empathy, you mentioned lived experience, a lot of the work that I do focuses on understanding the science and the best practice of elevating uh, and integrating patients' perspectives and also perspectives from community members, members of the public, et cetera, in decision-making related to health policy and health systems and services research. And so for me, that experience was very significant because it marked an opportunity to take what had been truly one of the most challenging lived experiences of my life 
and marry it with the work that I've done to understand best practices for integrating um, patient reported information or patient perspectives or some kind of an awareness of or sensitivity to the importance of patient outcomes and to speak from both worlds the patient perspective and also the perspective of someone who sees the benefit of pulling those patient perspectives in and the ways that I think integrating um, patient-generated or patient-reported information about their lived experience can enhance the, the clinical outcomes, can in fact render the information that's being used to inform decisions much more viable it's much more robust and rich body of information. And then clinicians can take that and say, oh, based on what I know about this person's lived experience, this isn't just dry eye because I'm hearing them talk about things in a particular way. And that's more likely to be a different kind of condition. Let's dig deeper. Um, So for me, it was a very rewarding and I think fulfilling opportunity to flip the script on the ways people talk about keratoconus and instead to say, what was me? this has been really difficult, my life is over, or I didn't get to accomplish what I wanted to. Instead, I got to say, no, I can speak from the perspective of a patient who's lived through this, and also I can tell you these, and there's an evidence base behind it. There are all of these ways to pull those lived experiences from patients to do something important and meaningful with that information that's going to help improve clinical outcomes and also quality of life outcomes for future patients moving forward. And I didn't realize how those things had come together until I did that talk. So it it meant a lot to me, honestly. Yeah, that's incredible. That's great. Yeah. Is that recorded by any chance? I would love to see it. It is, it is, so I can share that with you. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. You have so much great information. I think we're gonna have to have you back to share more, but what sort of advice do you have for a person who's newly diagnosed with keratoconus? That's a really good question. I think there's the practical advice and then I think there's the personal advice. The practical advice, and I can share this with you as well, the practical advice I had summarized in a blog post that I wrote um, very shortly after I was diagnosed, just some key pointers for patients who are newly diagnosed, things like make sure that you do your best to educate yourself, but try not to overwhelm yourself. So for example, engage with support groups to the extent that is beneficial to you. Uh, Read some of the resources made available through the National Keratoconus Foundation and others that provide vetted evidence-based information. But don't go down the rabbit hole of just reading post on post on post on post of people generalizing their experience or suggesting that there's no way to manage this successfully or because I think that can be really demoralizing actually. I agree. I think that's fantastic advice. Yeah. So that's, that's one bit of advice. Something else on that practical side I would suggest is being honest and candid with the people around you. So for me, it became really important to tell family members and friends when I'm having a difficult day and I'm in pain and I can't put my contacts in, I will be a different person. I'm not as articulate, I'm not as present, I'm disengaged. Um, In some cases, I have to be careful about my safety, for example. I've learned that for me, I can't be 
walking around late at night when I don't have my contacts in because I literally don't have the kind of depth perception or presence of mind that I would have when I have my contacts in. But in order to maintain healthy relationships and help people around me understand what I was experiencing, because it's not a visible impairment. So people will look at me in a particular way and assume that I'm functioning in a particular way. And behind the scenes, when my contact lenses are in, I feel like an entirely different person than I feel like when I can't wear them. So bringing people into that experience and helping to educate them also was very important to me. On the personal side, something I had to learn was once I figured out how to manage this, I needed to change my own attitudes and opinions about myself and what it means to live with this condition. So for quite a while, and this goes back to what I said at the beginning about wanting to rely on all of your senses For example, when you're going through something risky. A big part of my personality involves being curious, constantly learning, wanting to be exploring. And with that comes travel and pursuing educational opportunities and trying new and different things. And all of that stopped when I went through this process of not yet being diagnosed and getting a diagnosis. And then even after I had contacts, I had to unlearn some of those behaviors of staying in my comfort zone. And now I'm at a place where I figured out, okay, if I want to see friends in the evening on a certain day, I need to take these steps earlier in the day to make sure that I'm well hydrated and that I'm not in any pain with my contact lenses because yes, it may not always feel great or safe or comfortable to be out and about visiting friends when it's dark out. But if I take these steps to manage it, this doesn't need to limit my experiences. Like I can continue to be the same person that I always was, but it means if I'm traveling in a different country, I need to have a backup pair of lenses with me because At some point I was living abroad, for example, and within week one, one of my lenses broke and it would have been hundreds of dollars to have something shipped to me. So you just learn. It's not that I can't take risks. It's not that I can't be brave. It's not that I can't live my life the way that I prefer to or the way that I'm used to, but I do have to be intentional and mindful about that in order to be prepared. And if you go into it with that attitude, um, it doesn't need to be as much of a limiting factor as I think some people may anticipate when they're newly diagnosed. So many words of wisdom here. Thank you so much. Sure. And thank you for all of your excellent insights. And truly, I'd love to have you back because sure. I have so much more to ask you and learn from you. Sure. Thank you all so much for joining us on Clearly KC. Please listen to the Clearly KC podcast on Podbean or your favorite podcast app to subscribe and get future episodes and maybe even some stickers. For now, I'm Dr. Melissa Barnett. Please join us next time on Clearly Casey.